But let's finish up on Psalm 23. I think this is going to be a good one. Psalm 23. Oh, wait a second. There was a test today, wasn't there? Do you remember the test? Now, first service got away with it because uh, we, we, well, no, there we go. Are you ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads. Okay, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. All right, here we go. Put up verse four. Put up verse four. Here we go. Ready? I'm going to give you a hint. Put up verse four. Once we get through verse four, I'm going to let you do it on your own. All right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, we're grading on a curve. Put five up. Put five up. Your presence, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness. Forever. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, you're encouraging us again today. We pray. We pray because we were together today, Lord, that we'd be more confident in you, that we'd encourage each other. And Lord, while we're encouraging each other, we pray that your word changes us. It has the power to transform our minds. We pray it does that today. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Lord, we've come to expect it as your children. We thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. So if you, if you remember growing up in school, when I went to school, we would all gotten F's. Nowadays, like you're still winners. You're still winners. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on. 23rd Psalm. Last week we talked about how God provides, he heals, he protects. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. We talked about how David had shifted from a shepherd sheep illustration to a banquet. And that God had prepared a banquet in the valley for him, specifically for him. He'd prepared and we talked about how when you, it was common when you entered into the banquet that, that the host would, would anoint you with oil and it signified, you know, let's be honest, walking through the valley, you put a couple bumps and bruises on you, won't it? Look, a couple of abrasions and the idea of making you smell better and cleaning you up before you came in. And that's what Jesus does. And then he invites us in and he confirms us even in the presence of our enemies. No, 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 they're mine. Now David turns and he wraps up Psalm 23 and he says, um, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I started thinking about that. 
if I had my choice, I would want goodness and mercy to go before me. That way, every day when I woke up, I'd see goodness and mercy because it would be in front of me. Wouldn't that be nice? Just one little adjustment of the scripture could have transformed the way we think about things. Just one little, if he would have just said, surely goodness and mercy is in front of me all the time. Every morning I wake up, it's a rainbow. Wouldn't that be nice? You wouldn't have to use a filter on your iPhone. You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to make it look more cheery than it really is. You wouldn't have to try to fake it. Goodness and mercy would be in front of us. We'd be able to say, wow, my life is perfect all the time. Look how much goodness I've got. But we all know life is not like that, is it? We do walk from from pasture to pasture, though. We have to remember that. That's important. We walk from pasture to pasture. We talked a couple weeks ago. He leads us through the valley. Not from valley to valley, but from pasture to pasture. And the valley is in between. And it's a necessary thing to get to the next place a provision and God is faithful to lead us through those places. But, it, but David says at the end, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I started thinking about that. Follow, follow me uh, Anybody, anybody with child, a child of the eighties and early nineties, anybody else in here or anybody remember the eighties and early nineties? Anybody remember those? Okay. There was a famous haircut uh, some of you may remember this gaining in popularity today to the demise of everybody that grew up at that time. There's a famous haircut back then that's had its own name. It was called. You really did grow up back then. It was called the mullet. The mullet, the, the haircut had it. It was the only haircut with its own definition. It had its own meaning. If you, if you wore a mullet, everybody knew that it was. There's no other haircut that's got its own definition. It's like, well, they got to fade. I don't know what that means. What, what does that mean? Serious all the time. It means he's got a temper that goes from little to a lot. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. A fade doesn't mean anything. I remember uh, back when I was growing up, they also had bowl cut. Skaters used to wear bowl. It didn't mean anything. But if you had a mullet, everybody knew. When you walked in, it was like, oh, he's serious until he's not. serious until he's not. It was like, Hey, he's straight up business. But in the evening he's Bon Jovi. It's like, it's just, it was the only haircut with a definition. So when I started reading the end of Psalm 23, that's what I started thinking about a mullet. Now work with me here. We've got a couple of minutes that I'll flesh this out for you. Cause everybody's like, We've heard you, we've heard you before, but this is a stretch. My life cycle, my, my relationship with Christ, my, my spiritual journey works out like a mullet because I get trouble in the front, goodness in the back. That's, that's kind of the rhythm that happens with me. I'll see trouble in the front, goodness in the back, trouble in the front, goodness in the back, trouble in the front, goodness in the back. And, and what happens to me sometimes is even though I'm sitting uh, in green pastures, I'm looking at the valley. 
I can see it coming. Come on, I'm just being transparent with anybody else here. I can see it coming. I know, I know it's in front of me. I can see what's happening. And it's not until I walk into the valley and realize all the stuff that's happening that I can look behind and see the goodness that's resulted from the walk in the valley. Now you're starting to find, now we're all wearing spiritual mullets. Everybody got it now. Trouble in the front, goodness in the back. Look at your neighbor and say, I think you should grow one out. Trouble in the front, goodness in the back. David's statement about goodness and mercy following him is made from a vantage point that can contextualize his circumstances. If there is anything as a Christian that you need to be good at, it's contextualization. The the major mistake I see people make over and over and over again is they can't contextualize what they're walking through. They, they They can't find a meaning for it. They can't say, hey, this is for this. This is... This is how this is going to relate. This is the contextualization of your life. What does it mean? What is, what is, what is, what is short bangs in the front actually mean? It means business in the front. What is, what is what I'm walking through right now? How does it, how does it fit in the whole puzzle of life? And, and, and a lot of times we're, we're not good at that. We like to, what they say, wallow in it a little bit. We don't try to, we don't try to even find a definition for it. We just kind of lay in it. Paul was one of the most amazing people in scripture that could do the contextualization, contextualization thing on a regular basis in every circumstance he was in. He would say things like, like you should, you should be happy about going through trouble. And I can imagine his audience thinking like, is he crazy? No, no, no. It, it will produce good things in your life. What, what was he able to do? He was able to contextualize the trouble that he had walked through and then see the good things that it had produced. He was able to look back and put a context on everything. So that meant the next thing that he walked through had a different context than the previous one. He had learned towards the end of his life. He's writing to the Philippians. He says, don't be embarrassed. About my circumstance. Don't be embarrassed about these chains that I'm in. Because they're meant to advance the gospel. He was able to take a circumstance where everybody else would have been upset and defeated and depressed. And telling, well, you should, well, you can't be happy. He's saying, don't even be embarrassed about me being arrested. It is for the advancement of the gospel. He was able to contextualize the bad things that were happening to to him. the, The valley that he was walking in. He was able to put a context on it. And allowed, allowed himself to understand how God was leading him through it. Context is king. Context is king. Have you ever heard somebody say something and took it out of context and responded the wrong way? To which we said, well, I thought you meant this. To which my wife replies, we've been married 24 years. You know I didn't mean that. And then I reply, well, that's because I actually wasn't listening. Context is king. I'm telling you, if you're going to stay married, context is king. If you're, if you're going to stay in a relationship with God, context is king. You cannot come at him like he's trying to kill you. God is faithful. God is long suffering. His love endures forever. So we have to contextualize what is happening to us 
in light of him being for us. Amen? So we go back to Romans 8.28. Paul's writing and he says what? Some of you know this. He says, all things work together for good. All things. Can you read that? And we know that for those who love God, say this. All things. Uh, let's, Let's do it again just so we can make sure. We've got it right. And we know that for those who love God, how much, how many things? Well, wait a second. That bad thing that happened to you last week probably was excluded from that, right? That, that trial you're getting ready to walk into that you can see coming, that conversation you have to have, that, that, that difficulty that's been brewing and you're not sure how to handle it. That's surely that is not included in that. But it does say, just for clarification, it does say all things, right? So, all things, we know that for those who love God. So if you're in this building this morning and you love God, Paul is saying that all the things that go on in your life, all things, not a quarter of them, not just some of them, not just a little bit, some of them that are even your fault. Oh man, I'm thankful for that. So am I thankful for him being able to twist your screw ups? All things work together for good for those who love, who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so listen. That means trouble can be in the front. But then by time I get to the trouble, God has already started working. So that by the time I turn around, goodness. So that's exactly, Paul is actually writing what David wrote in Psalm 23. Do you, do you see it? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That didn't mean he was not going to walk through the valley because he just talked about walking through the valley. It didn't mean he wouldn't have an enemy because he just talked about eating in front of him. It didn't mean any of that. All it meant was by the time he turned around, he'd see goodness. Paul comes along later and says, we know. We know that if we love God, that all things end up working out for good. Those that are, that love him are called according to his prayer. He said, if you're a child of God, by the time you look around, he flipped the switch on it. Now, some of you may not believe me, but uh, let, let me, let me say this before. I, I'm going to read you two stories. If you don't mind, I like them. They're favorite. If, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you heard these stories, um, but maybe, maybe for some of you, it might be the first time you hear them. They're, they're fascinating stories in the Old Testament. But before that, I, I want to make sure you understand something. You're the one that gets to label the whole thing. You know what's fascinating to me is God doesn't force me to think about something a certain way. He transforms something in my life and then allows me to label it. Did you hear that? So I get to call it good when I turn around and look at it. Or I don't. That's up to me. God doesn't say, no, 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 no. You're going to call it good no matter what. No, he says, whatever you're walking into, I'm going to transform into good. So when you turn around, you have the opportunity to call it good. Now, if you don't, that's not God's fault. How many of your kids right now will call discipline in their lives great? Hmm? 
I got a couple of adult kids. I don't know that any of them have looked back and said, I'm so thankful. Just been thinking about the discipline in my life lately. So thankful that you and mom were disciplinarians. I hadn't heard that one yet. I'm sure one day they will be thankful, but that turnaround thing's happening really slow right now. They're like, ah, I don't think we're going to do it that way. You see, we get to label those things in our lives. So, so Paul is able to be shipwrecked. Come on, there's a whole story in Acts where he's arrested. He's being transported to Rome. He gets in a shipwreck. He tells everybody, listen, don't, don't kill anybody. We'll all stay together. God promised me we would live. He gets shipwrecked. They make it to the island. When he gets on the island, he's trying to start a fire, reaches down, and a viper attaches to his hand. We talked about this before. Can you imagine? I'd have been like, I'm done. Are you kidding me? I've been arrested for something that I shouldn't even have been arrested for. Now I got shipwrecked. I'm the only guy on this ship that believes in you. You get me to the island soaking wet and then I get bit by a poisonous snake. Trouble in the front and I ain't even turning around. I think it's Acts 28. You go back and read that. God turns that whole thing out for good. Paul shakes that viper off his hand. Everybody's like, whoa, he should be dead by now. Paul ends up praying for the tribal leader and seeing him healed. If Paul would not have been able to contextualize the shipwreck, Almost drowning, getting bit by a snake. If he was not able to contextualize that, he'd have sat by the fire and died. I'm telling you this today because some of you are sitting by the fire waiting on your last moment when God is saying, just turn around and see how good I am. You get to label it. You get to define it. You get to see the goodness of God. David said, surely the goodness and mercy of God will follow me all the days of my life. So yeah, trouble in the front sometimes. Yeah, trouble in the front sometimes. But when we turn around, what do we see? We get to label it. Okay, let me give you some more examples. I like these. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Anybody heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Ever heard that? Yeah, the three Hebrew boys. Then Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The Israelites were in exile. Right at the beginning of Daniel, here we go. They're not, paying, they're not, they're not following the rules. They're not going to bow down. They're not going to worship any other gods. They've decided even to the death, they're going to worship the one true God. So here's what happens. And Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well, well and good. But if you do not worship, then you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated the flame of the fire, killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true. O king, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This is a fabulous story. The king of Babylon says, if you don't bow down and worship who and when I tell you to, we're going to throw you into a furnace. And they said, look, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We've been called to worship the one true God. We're not going to worship anything else. And they said, by the way, If you do end up deciding to throw us into the fire, we know God will deliver us. Those three boys were looking at trouble in the front. A hundred percent trouble. Now now listen to me. There have been moments in my life where I have made declarative statements of faith. Clenching my teeth, praying that God delivers me. Anybody else? Have I ever been in a situation where you're like, no, 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 God will deliver me. And you're looking at your buddy, you're like, dude, he better. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I can't imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being some superheroes. I bet you they were just like us. I bet you they were going, God, we don't have a choice. You told us not to worship any other gods. He's put it before us and we ain't got no choice. So, hey, this is what we're going to do. Shadrach, you tell him. Hey, oh, king, uh, uh, listen, whatever you decide is what you decide. And if you're going to throw us in, you're going to throw us in, but we're not bound down. Okay. What'd you say it that way for? Either way, they make a stand all the way to the end and he throws them into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar stands up and he says, wait a second. We only threw three people in and they were bound. Like I brought the big dudes in and bound them up. We threw three people in and there, and there's four in there now and they're walking around like they're not burned. And if you keep reading the end of the story, they, they bring them out and none of their clothes are even charred. Now, now you see the spiritual mullet trouble in the front. They are going to throw us into the fire. God will deliver us. He better thrown into the fire as soon as. God did his thing. Hey, Abednego, I ain't 
This is not even hot. No, it's not even hot. Shadrach, man. Your tunic's not on fire. I know. And there's Jesus. What? What is They pull him out. Now, now here's the, pro, here's the problem. I bet you say, well, God's never done a fiery furnace miracle for me. Okay, we don't have kings throwing people in the furnace, first of all. Not even opportunity for that. <laughs> Second of all, he has. He has. You just chose when you got out to look at it different when you look back. Here's the issue. If I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'd have been wearing the same hat 10 years later. I'd have been sitting at the dinner table and the kids going, Dad, why do you got the hat on? Because I made it out of the fire, kid. And you don't understand anything I've been through, but this hat proves that God delivered me. Some of us are still upset that we went into the fire. You can say amen there, that's fine. Some of us 10 years later are still irritated that God let us be thrown into the fire. Come on, you know how we talk. Like, oh, I can't even believe that still happened. And, and some of us say, well, didn't God, didn't God deliver you? Yeah, but I mean, all the stress, all the heartache that went with that. But didn't, didn't it end up good? Yeah, but I just don't understand why we had to do that. Come on. Some of us, God delivers and we look back and we refuse to see the goodness. David said, I'm going to make a choice. I just told you that I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because he's with me, because his rod and staff, they comfort me, because he, he protects me, because he guides me, because he provides for me. And guess what? Every time I run into the enemy and he puts a table down for us, I'm going to choose to look back and see the goodness of God. Not that I had an enemy, but that I had a God that protected me. Amen. So watch. You don't believe that one. Daniel has another good story in it in chapter six. Now this is a different king and a different person. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Daniel was doing the same thing. Daniel said, I'm not bowing. You sure about that? The, the only difference was this king loved Daniel. Daniel was very beneficial to him. He said, you sure you don't want to bow? You sure? He said, I can't. I can't. He's going to throw him into the fire, throw him into the lion's den. You remember that story? Some of you remember it when you were young. It said, and a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went into haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent angels, and he shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, if you keep reading that story, the king rounded up everybody who had tricked Daniel, everybody who was against Daniel that kind of set a trap for him, rounded up them and their whole families, threw them into the lions. Then you know what happened? 
What you expected to happen. They ate them. The lions ate the people. I've been on enough safaris that you don't ever trust a lion no matter how cute they are. They will eat you. I remember my first safari, we were, there was a rock, big rock in the middle of the road. And, and the guy stopped and he said, we're going to have to move the rock. I said, well, I'll get out and move it. He said, no, you're not. I said, why? He said, you don't know what's behind that bush. I said, you're exactly right. Why don't you get out and move it? We're paying you. Lions don't cuddle with people. Daniel was set up. Daniel was sentenced. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Trouble in the front. Nothing but trouble. In the moment of time it took him to get into the den and the stone rolled in front of it, he was able to turn around and go, there's goodness. There's the goodness. They ain't even hungry. I imagine 10 years later, Daniel wasn't complaining about being thrown in the lion's den. He was proclaiming the goodness of God that they didn't need him. Church, there have been times in my life where bad things have happened and I have told the bad story instead of the good one. I've told the story about how God let me go down into there and how, how I had to walk through this and how to walk through that and how to walk, how it was so horrible and why would anybody have to do that? And then God said, goodness and mercy didn't follow you. And I realized I hadn't taken time to contextualize what happened to me. Yeah, the bad thing was in the front, but when I turned around, it was good as far as I could see behind me. God had taken what was meant for evil and turned it into good. He had taken, he had taken ashes and made beautiful things out of them. And he is able to do that in every single one of our lives. When we walk up to him and we see trouble in the front, he says, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. As soon as we turn around, we say, oh man, your goodness has been so good. It's been so good that I have nothing to fear now. That's why Paul could say those things. He had realized behind him was so much goodness of God in every circumstance he had walked through that now when he looked to the front, he knew what was going to happen. Oh, it looks like trouble, but trust me, it won't end up like trouble. It looks like trouble now, but by the time I turn around, it won't be trouble anymore. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then I want to end, I want to end with this. The band's going to come up. He says this little thing, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For David, that was a physical place he wanted to be. It was, it was, it was tied to the temple, the presence of God. The more goodness he saw, the more he wanted to be in the presence of God. The more goodness he saw in his life, the more desire he had for God. I'm, I'm going to say something that might hurt Sunday morning attendance. The presence of God is not here. I mean, I mean it is, but it's, it's not. Um, I, had a, I had a conversation this week um, I was at the dentist's office. You ever had, you ever been to the dentist's office and they start talking to you and you can't talk back? I'm just like, ah, 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 
I couldn't even disagree. I heard a conversation about God is not a church. God is not just a church. And I want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not why. If you're coming to church to be in the presence of God, you're missing it six days a week. that's, that's That's a cheap relationship. Like, hey, you got married. You only see your husband once a week. Some of you would say, good for you. That'd be horrible. Only see your wife once a week to be in the presence. David loved the presence of God so much that he wanted to be in it daily. That he wanted to be in it daily. So I want to change your mind about Sunday morning church. Can we do that for a second? You're not coming here because this is the only place you find the presence of God. This isn't the temple in the Old Testament. David said, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He was just saying, there's been so much goodness in my life and I know where it came from that I don't want to leave his presence. And so I don't want you to compartmentalize God's presence to like, well, Sunday morning, here we go. I'm going to get in the presence of God. No, the presence of God is a continual thing in your life. The presence of God is when you raise your head and when you lower it at night. It's when you raise in the morning and you wake up, he's there. When you go to bed at night, he's there. When you go to work and that boss is in your, he's there for that. When you go on vacation, he's there for that. When your kids are whining in front of you at Walmart, he's there for that. The continual presence of God. David says, I want to be in it. He's been so, when I look back, he's been so good to me that I want to be in it forever. So you say, well, what's the use of Sunday morning church? Because we weren't created to be alone. So we gather together on Sunday morning to celebrate the goodness of God. That's a different perspective. So I want you to stop compartmentalizing your life and be like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience God on Sunday morning. I hope you experience it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I hope when you're getting screamed at at work, you experience it. I'm, I'm hoping in the most unbelievable parts of your life, you experience it. I hope in the worst parts of your life, you experience it. And then when we gather on Sunday morning, it's just a big, surely goodness and mercy. Sunday morning is where you gain the context for the trouble in the front. Sunday morning is when we gather together and you can see people that look like you, think like you, see people are walking through the same thing as you and you say, hey, wait a second. Don't forget to look at that goodness. Don't forget you weren't supposed to walk through this by yourself. Let me help you turn around and contextualize everything that's going on. That's what Sunday is. Sunday is coming and going, hey, look, I know it looks like trouble in the front, but when we turn around, it's all goodness in the back. That's what Sunday is. Sunday's not the only time you experience God's presence. I pray. David said, I just want to live in it. And church, that's my prayer for you today, that you just live in the presence of God. He is with you. He is keeping you. He is leading you. We've learned from Psalm 23 that he's never stopped leading you. He's never stopped providing. He's never stopped healing. He is your God. And he is doing it right now in every circumstance in your life. He's proven goodness and mercy is for you. Amen. Come on, could you stand this morning? Look, we're going to sing this song again. This will change the way you fight. I don't have to fight you. You're not my enemy. I don't have to fight. I know that what is happening in my life right now, goodness and mercy will result in it. It will result in that. I don't have to be obnoxious. I don't have to be crazy. 
I know that he's already won for me. I know that goodness and mercy is already the result. And so I don't have to fret. I don't have to fear. I don't have to fight. I don't have to be cantankerous. I can just be confident that God is doing what he's doing in my life every moment of every day. And when I turn around, I'm going to find goodness and mercy. Amen. So that changes. Come on. So why don't you lift it up? Why don't you lift that up to him and declare that even though